My mother just told me, now listen, you just learn to talk to the Lord. You got a question, you talk to him. Just like we having a conversation right now, ask him. Early in my life, those were really foundational reading and memorizing scripture and learning to talk to the Lord. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. Today, I'm happy to be speaking in good faith with Harry and Deborah Bonner. 41 years this year that they have been married. First of all, congratulations for that, folks. Yay! And kids, too. It's an honor to have the two of you here in the studio. I'd like to start by just asking if you'll think back, like tell us where you're from, and uh, Harry, maybe I'll start with you. Were you raised in, in church? Was that a common thing in your family or not? Tell me about your, your beginnings with belief and faith. My beginnings uh, religiously began in a Pentecostal church, in an AME church, uh, in a very religious family. Uh, my mother was the youngest girl of 10 siblings, if you will, or they migrated from the South. I believe it was Georgia, Roopville. They were very, very religious, and my mother talked to me constantly about the Lord and how to develop a relationship with Him. So two things happened when I was young, which were very, was very significant. One, we did go to church, Pentecostal AME church, and I was told that I would speak at every church. And so I had to memorize, I think it was the 13th chapter of St. Mark, if I got it right. The churches call it an evening program. Other churches call it a fireside. And they said, oh, that boy Wonder is going to speak and he's going to <laughs> say this. And, and so on Saturdays where everybody was out playing, I was memorizing this scripture, you know, this chapter, this old chapter. <laughs> My earliest ages four and five. Oh, okay. Man, I thought I had it bad having yeah. to memorize a verse. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> and then the other thing that, and I'm sure there were blessings that came from that memorization and those in church performances and radio performances. And then the other thing that happened, my mother just told me, now listen, you just learn to talk to the Lord. You got a question, you talk to him. Just like we having a conversation right now, ask him. And so early in my life, those were really foundational reading and memorizing scripture and learning to talk to the Lord. She would not have passed that on to you unless she felt like she was feeling answers, that that was working for her. Did you see prayer working in her life like that, in your life, when you started having those conversations? Well, I didn't know about her life, but I know what she told me, and I know how my life was blessed. Mm. I mean, from I was the youngest boy. I was just raised by my mother out of uh, four kids, and she uh, somehow managed to – I went to private schools all my life the finest private schools and ended up in a, a exquisite private college and in Oberlin College and then graduate school University of Michigan. And see, so I know it was the hand of God, mm. <laughs> you know, in terms of how did I get here? How am I here? And maybe everybody else is over here, me leaving the community, running to catch the bus, you know, thumbing a ride back home, but it all worked out. And so I saw just God's hand throughout. Yeah, I went to a Jesuit high school, and even though I was went early on religiously, I was um, Pentecostal and AME, if you will, 
one day a Catholic priest showed up at the boys club looking for me and that was aged about seven and he stayed in my life all the way time and I became Catholic and um, eventually I was sent to a, a Jesuit high school in my city. They were just uh, outstanding educators and I was an altar boy. I learned from the finest. Yeah, St. Xavier High School, Cincinnati, Ohio. And I would say, too, that this father, Conlon, oh, yeah. was like his father. Mm. So he didn't have a father. And this man fathered him from the age of seven. Seven on. He, he'd and come and he'd pick me up and he'd pick other kids up and we'd go play basketball. And then we'd go to a, to a burger place and eat burgers. And that was just great. And he took me to my college, you know, to see the campus. He would check on my mom. I served Mass, and all the priests kind of, oh, here comes Harry, and they'd empty their pockets. Oh, money's falling up my pockets. Oh, here comes Harry. <laughs> oh, and I went to symphonies because the Catholic priest took me. And so when all these questions about Catholic priests come, I never experienced that. I only had father figures, and particularly Father Ed Conlon. Which I mean, we, was my, we named like one of our sons after him. Yeah. Mm. So it's yeah. like he took his pastoral duties pretty seriously. Yeah. That's, that's he great. was awesome. Showed me how to be and just and, – and that was like Deborah said, closest to a dad that, that I did have, you know, it was a Catholic priest. And it uh, was uh, life-impacting because that's all I knew from then until I went to college. In high school – my mom used to always tell me, she said, you get on that field, you take the Lord with you. And when you score a touchdown, you say, thank you, Jesus. You know, and I did that. Mm. <laughs> I was running back and I scored a touchdown. I said, thank you, Jesus. Deborah, your history starts in Louisiana and then Flint, Michigan. Well, I was only born in Louisiana. Uh-huh. I was nine months old and we moved north. So my dad, we moved to Flint, Michigan and the car industry was booming really had a really wonderful childhood in that we never really wanted for anything. Mm. We lived in a, a black community, and a lot of the kids and the parents went to church. My mother and father didn't go to church. I was considered mildly retarded in elementary school, and I was a special ed child. I couldn't read. At, by the age of 13, I still wasn't able to read. And I met a girl. Because uh, I used to fight every day. I used to take up for those who were being picked on. That, mm. That's why I would fight. And this one girl, I took up for her. She was from the South. Her name was Linda Gale Watson. And she was tall and very dark. And dark was not popular back then. Mm. And she had, oh, like me, a hundred long braids with the different bows, different color bows on the end of it. And she here in the South. And people teased her, and so I took up for her. I, I thought, gosh, I, all she has to do is grab them and sit on them because she's so tall, she's so big. <laughs> but she would never fight. She would just cry. Mm-hmm. And so I admired her because she had the strength to beat those kids, but she didn't. So I one day asked her, why aren't you fighting? Why don't you just grab them? She said, because my friend wouldn't be very happy about it. I said, well, I wanted to be like her, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, who is your friend? And she said Jesus was her friend. And so then I wanted to meet Jesus. So she took me to his house. (laughs) At the time, I was about 12, and she took me to her church, False Avenue Baptist Church. 
She sang in the choir. She had this beautiful voice. And I came to learn how to read by singing the hymns. That's how I learned how to read. It just uh, helped you make that connection. Yeah, yeah, I made the connection, and, and I'm sure it was the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, that opened my mind. And I came to know Jesus personally and had a very personal, close relationship with her best friend, which now became my best friend. And like anything I ever asked for, he just granted me. I wanted to have a voice like hers. At 12 years old, you can't be in the choir. You had to wait till you were 13. So by the time I was 13, I got in the youth choir. I was the only person in my family to go to church. So that church just put their arms around me and just loved me and allowed me to be who I was and said that I was fine just the way I was. And I knew that Jesus loved me, so it really didn't matter anymore what anybody thought, mm. whether it was my mother or my father or teachers. or It didn't matter because I knew that Jesus loved me. And he was my best friend, and he was greater than any human being. So to have that person as my best friend empowered me. What was that like for you? And uh, there was a time in a lot of kids' lives where they have, quote, an imaginary friend. But for you, this was not imaginary. It was, yeah, it was real. Because How did you feel that that was real? What let you know that? Because uh, he would speak to me hmm. in my mind. He would speak to me. I would ask questions even when I, as I worked hard, began to work hard and learn how to read. He, was just, he would just open my mind and I'd ask him questions and he would answer me. And I wind up graduating from high school with honors. <laughs> Total change. Yes, and, and no longer fought. I, I promised him that if he would give me a voice to sing his praises, I would never fight again. He gave me a voice, and so I had a voice. So much so that the church decided to pay for my voice lessons. So from the age of 13 until I graduated from high school at 18, I took voice lessons twice a week, never missed. And because I didn't want to disappoint them, so I would make sure that I would go to all my lessons. And I won a lot of the Nats auditions. Uh, we would travel to Indiana me and my teacher, and she had some other old people in the car <laughs> that were old, that were teachers, and and I would win in a lot of those uh, the competitions. You've been using that voice ever since. Well, yes, I <laughs> well, yes, I guess I have. Uh, in fact, uh, when I graduated from high school, I traveled throughout Europe with uh, a group, a hundred voice choir and orchestra, and there were only two blacks in the choir. That was myself and my best friend that had this gorgeous voice. But I was the soloist, and we were the only black kids, and we went for the whole summer throughout Scandinavia, and so I would be the one to give the flowers to the dukes and the duchess and all that and <laughs> sing solos. And So it was, uh, it was because of my relationship with the Savior that I came to know through singing and through singing gospel music. Gospel music uh, resonated with me, and by the time I went, we went on. I, went on, I had scholarships to University of Michigan and Indiana University, and a little black college called Kentucky State. Of course, I was going to go to Indiana or University of Michigan, but the girl who used to accompany me in my voice lessons when I was in Europe got in a car accident, and she was in a coma for thirteen days. So when I came back, uh, she had just gotten come come out of the coma. 
And her mother pleaded with me to please go with her to school to be her roommate. And that was Kentucky State. And I was like, oh, I'd rather go to Indiana, you know. But, oh. but I, So I did. I went with, with her to Kentucky State. So for four years, I was at Kentucky State. And Kentucky State was a little black school. It was a, a state school, and, and it was a black school, almost all black. It was very difficult for me the first year. It was like a cultural shock. Hmm even though I was black. But most of my friends were white or blacks who were going to college. And these were black kids from the South. And so I didn't live in a society where there was just racism and discrimination. And, you know, so it was, I'm used to speaking my mind. And so it was a little bit difficult. I learned how to be very humble and Hmm. just smile and not say things that I would have liked to have said. Because it, it was uh, quite, quite a different experience for me. Now, the two of you, once you met each other and got married, you took off to serve and be missionaries. Right. So what, uh, tell me the story of how this happened and, and what prompted you or led you? Well, the same little church that I, I was affiliated with, there was a missionary that – there was a person that was over the National Baptist Convention, the, over the mission. There were like maybe 12 – missionaries that they would send out of over four million, only about 12 would go. So every year he'd come and visit churches and he would always say, that's my little missionary right there. That's my little missionary every year as I was singing in the choir. And now Harry and I had just gotten married. We got our, received our master's degree from University of Michigan and we were there and he said, there's my little missionary. Well, what are you doing? I said, well, we, I just graduated from college, and he said, I want you to go on a mission to Liberia. Are you ready? And I said, yeah, Harry, you want to go? Harry said, yes, <laughs> Africa? So that's how three months after we were married, we went and served in Liberia, West Africa. Yeah, that was my, I uh, guess, the uh, first major. I looked at it as mine because she left it up to me, marital decision. Mm. You know, we were married, and she had completed all her work and uh, was scheduled to get, I think I'd even received her degree. I had finished all my work, but I was minus my thesis. And so I said, well, Africa, or do I do a thesis? And and, and probably could have done it both, but I didn't think I could. So <laughs> I put off my thesis, and I said, okay, we'll go to Africa, you know, <laughs> because I always wanted to go. And it was just a blessing to go and, and to go as a servant of the Lord, in a sense. So what, what kind of things did you do? The, the mission in its relationship with the country at that time, we're talking about 77 to 79, they didn't allow you just come and proselyte. You had to bring something, bring a skill, a trade, or something that would empower the people mm. more than just proselyting, if you will. So we taught school. Initially, you know, I taught junior high, and, and Deborah worked with the kids uh, musically in the villages. And, uh, and then after we did that, not only did Deborah work with the music in the villages, she would work with the kids in school, too, uh, musically and assist with uh, the classes as well. Then after the day was over, periodically throughout the week, we would go into the village churches and develop a relationship with them. And, and well, we went into uh, Gisi Camp, which was one of the villages, and they needed a pastor. So Harry became the pastor for this village, Gisa Camp. And we had to walk like 10 miles 
inland to get to the. the I'm church. glad you were young. Yeah, <laughs> I was very pregnant too. Got became very pregnant, and our child was a year old when we left. Mm-hmm. So we we served about 19 months. Mm-hmm. But see, these people taught us how to be Christ-like. You know, we 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 read the scriptures to them, but they lived it. You know, they very loving, very giving, very charitable, very wonderful people. And we thought, wow, we came here to teach them about Christ, and they're teaching us. Mm-hmm. They just wanted us to just the read, lifestyle read, the scripture, just, read the scripture. Yeah. It was so Christ-like. But they used to always, well, tell us about Jesus. Tell us about Jesus. <laughs> so we tell them a story from the scripture, from the Bible, you know. And then we watch them, all the different ways that they made it come to life, how they cared for one another, you know, how they ate and shared their food and gave the best portion to strangers and how they and loved. The, and, and and even the village drunk, mm-hmm. you know, they just embraced him and loved him and fed him and took care of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a, a sight to behold, to be a part of. And I'm so glad we realized that, hey, we may be missionaries, but they, they, they have what Christ was all about. And so we watched and we learned and, and tried to practice, you know, and grow. Because my relationship was very, very close, or is, and at that time was very close to the Savior, I could hear him. I hear his voice. He speaks to me, and I hear him. And we loved our work in the village. We spent the last two months living with the people in the mud houses, in taking baths with them in the creek, using leaves as toilet paper. It was just very natural, very wonderful, helping them plant their gardens. and It was just a wonderful thing. And we began to build the first brick building. They were digging the foundation. We were digging the foundation. We were people, Muslims from other villages heard about us, and people would come in droves so that Harry could teach them the gospel. And we were baptizing huge amounts of of individuals in the church, and we just loved the work we were doing. Then the Spirit told us to resign, told me to resign. He said, resign. And I said, why? You're confusing the people. I said, how are we confusing the people we're teaching? But I know when the Lord is speaking to me, I know. It's like knowing your mother's voice. You talk Mm. to her, you know. You know that that's her. When you hear her voice, you know. So I knew that's what he said. So it was a huge decision because we were planning on being missionaries for life. We are going to be there forever, have children there, raise our children there, be missionaries forever. And our children would be missionaries. That's how a lot of times it's done in the Baptist church. And so we resigned, and it was very, very difficult. Can you imagine Four million people depending on you to serve that mission in Liberia. There are only 12 of you, and two of you are resigning. It just upset the whole community. But I knew that's what the Lord said do. So we did it. Came home, lived in the States for two years. Harry was a recreation supervisor, and I taught in the Cincinnati inner city where there's a lot of crime. A lot of the kids from Appalachia, they would bust them in to the same high school as kids in the inner city, black kids. So you have black and white, but both very two different sets of major issues and problems. 
but it was wonderful. I guess I can say this now. It's been about 40 years ago. And teaching, I didn't know. I was still like a missionary. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to teach about Jesus. <laughs> so I had this big, I, I, I developed this choir. They didn't have a choir. We wind up with oh, over 100 students that were in the choir. And I would teach them the gospel. I would talk, teach lessons as we we learned songs. And I would baptize them in my tub. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. But lives change, and we got letters from kids years, years later. You know, them going on to college and their businesses and thank yous. And some have even come and lived with us for a little bit, gone back. So did you start to feel like, okay, maybe I can see why we were led to come back? I still didn't understand it at the time because there was so much more that I was I felt I was doing in, in, in Africa, in Liberia. But then after the first year, I was um, honored as teacher of the year from the student body, the second year from the faculty. And then the spirit said, go west. We're like, what? I'm loving this. No, west, why? So we had two babies and seven months pregnant. Resigned from our, our work. I resigned from my job. And we basically hitchhiked west because we gave away everything because that's what we did when we were in Africa. So we had $100 to our name and basically hitchhiked west, ended up in Vegas. He said, you want me to drop you off here? And I said, are we west yet? And he said, well, yeah, we're in Vegas. I said, okay, well, drop us off here. Within the week, Harry met some missionaries while he was looking for work. And we were we stayed in the hotel for about two or three days. Then we were out of money. We had like $18. And when he met some missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he said, do you want my bishop's number? So Harry said, sure. So he got the bishop's number. The bishop came, found us, and invited us to come and live in their home until Harry was able to get a job and we get on our feet. And we lived with them for two months. The day before I went to labor, I prayed that I could have this baby in my own house. I went into labor. Harry got a letter saying that he landed a job. Some individuals from another church came, knocked on our door and said, "Uh, we want to help you. I think they were not uh, LDS, and they found that these people were living in LDS home, and they paid for our first month's rent somewhere. So we found a place, moved into it. At that time, we had not joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, because of our experience in Africa, we decided that we didn't want to be a member of any church. We just want to read the scriptures, be close to the Lord, and just not be a part of any organized religion. Miracles did happen, and we prayed, and the Spirit said to me, be baptized at this time. Be baptized at this time, is what what the words were. And I was like, it's not that we wanted to be. In Vegas, we hardly saw any black people. There was no black people there back back at that time. The culture was different. and But this is what the Spirit told us to do, so we did it. So now we're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and have been for 35 years. And uh, it has been a wonderful journey. We have eight children now. Now, because of our orientation and our relationship with the Savior and how we came to know the Savior, the culture is different. And so we always have gospel music in our home. 
Our kids have always sung gospel music, and I've even developed gospel choirs where, wherever we live because I'm a voice teacher, and I'd put a lot of my students who want to continue to develop their voice in the gospel choirs. And thus, we have a gospel choir today, too, But because that is how I came to know the Savior. And so my kids have come to know the Savior in that same way, by singing gospel music, mm. having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can hear the Spirit. Now, there's one aspect that I was able to share, and I didn't realize to what extent, as a father, I was effective in doing and raising kids spiritually. I did all I could through church and through counsel, but you, you never know. But about a year ago, it was May, May 7th, last year, 17, the whole family gave a fireside, and one of our children said, uh, shared this, and I, it was a special experience. She said that she used to come have all these problems as a 11 or 12 year old, you know, at school and so forth. And, and she'd come to her dad. She said, she'd go to dad. She said, dad, how can I handle this? And I have this. And I would always ask her, I said, well, have you prayed about it? Have you asked the Lord about it? Oh. And so this happened about several times. She'd come <laughs> back. Dad, this happened. There? And I would say the same. Well, have you asked the Lord about it? And so she said, finally, she did. She started asking the Lord about it, and she said it was the greatest thing. So she developed a personal relationship and talking to the Lord and getting through her problems because I told her to talk to him, and she did, and that kind of relationship developed. And I'm I so think that's grateful. interesting that rather than preaching, you ask a question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And made a recommendation where to go for the, her answers, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and she did, and so— that was least in, in my key musically. It was so valuable what Deborah did in the home with gospel music and, and and bringing that spirit of the Lord through music into our home. You know, I guess my compliment to that was, hey, we got to pray. Go talk to him about it, because right. in many cases I don't know, and whatever I tell you, I still don't know. Lord gonna have to bless it anyway. So that was. Uh, I think a guiding factor for me as a father, and I think was key to our home, that they developed that personal relationship. Our time is almost over, but I want to be sure that I ask, is there something I should ask you I don't know to ask, or something you'd like to be sure that you say? You know, I just want to say that a lot of times when you're prompted by the Spirit of God, you just got to do it. Mm -hmm. You don't question it because, yes, it's been my experience that you see miracles happen. You don't understand why, like being prompted to leave Liberia, West Africa, when we loved the work. The day we left Liberia was the day of the first gunshot from the coup, the oh. war. And if we had not listened to the Spirit, or if the Spirit had not spoke to us, Harry and I wouldn't be here today. I'm sure we would have been killed because we, we weren't uh, miracle Liberians who they were killing, and if you're African-American, you're even in worse shape in Liberia. Harry and Deborah Bonner, thank you so much for speaking with me today in good faith. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear Deborah share an experience she had soloing with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir on their weekly music and the spoken word show. And we'll hear a panel of listeners discuss the ideas presented by our guests, Harry and Deborah Bonner. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith.
This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. You know, when I sang as a guest soloist with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, I had the most spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. The name of the album is American Heritage of Spirituals. And the name of the song was, I Just Can't Stay Here By Myself. It was a slave lament. I teach voice, and so I was in three states a week flying to teach in different states. And when I was asked to sing, I really didn't want to because I was just so busy. So that's just going to show you where my head is at, right? <laughs> Craig Jessup asked me, I was like, you know, he said, well, you know, you can come for just two or three days. We would like you to stay for five, but just three. And I said, okay. I said, but I'll fly in like early in the morning, like two in the morning. He said, I'll come pick you up. He picked me up early in the morning, and he wanted me to just stay there for a few days because we were doing the spoken word and we were doing the album. I said, well, I can't stay. I can just, I had to sing that day. But he was willing to, okay, well, if that's how we, we can get you, okay, we'll do that. Because I'm not really a choir person. I'm a soloist, you know, I'm, I don't like singing in choirs. I'll direct a gospel choir, but I don't want to sing in a choir. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir to me was a choir. But I said, okay. And I knew that my voice was tired that day. And so I asked him, would you please give me a blessing? And he gave me a blessing just before. What was in that blessing was, you will sing for your people. You will be able to sing for those who could not sing, who did not have a voice, who could not sing for themselves. And I was like, I thought, that's a strange blessing. I wasn't asking for that. I was just wanting to make sure my voice was okay, you know. started with the ooze and when I started singing as I was singing the tabernacle began to fill up with the spirits of my ancestors those who were in slavery and those who loved the Lord and died believing in him and holding on to his everlasting hand they were filling the tabernacle and then the choir came in behind me and when they were singing their ancestors and those who crossed the plains, those who suffered for his sake, those who held on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, filled the tabernacle, their ancestors. And the tabernacle was just filled with those individuals. And then Heavenly Mother wrapped her arms around all of us that were in the tabernacle. As and cradled us as there was a part where I sang and they sang with me and and Heavenly Mother just cradled us and that was the experience and it was real I mean I've had a lot of spiritual experiences I've had a lot of spiritual experiences singing gospel music spiritual experiences being in the Baptist church but that was the most spiritual experience I ever had in my life 
I just can't stay here by myself. I cannot stay here what shall I do? Do you have times when you think God is telling you something? Maybe telling you to do something? What do you call that? An inspiration? A spiritual prompting? And do you act on it? And if you do act on it, how did things turn out? We invited a group of people to listen to our guests and then respond. Denise Anderson is a mother of six and serves on the city council in Cedar Hills, Utah. She loves to read anything but self-help and hides chocolate and gummy bears in her room to eat in the wee hours. Ana Vila is a Venezuelan Texan, a lover of dancing and eating anything covered in chocolate. She's an HR specialist. Charles Graham is a husband, father of five, a lover of good books and the outdoors. Oliver Dresden loves ice cream and the great outdoors. He's a senior at BYU. It was so great to listen to Deborah and Harry talk about their experiences on their journey with their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was so um, excited every time they talked about the idea that when you're prompted by the Spirit of God, you just do it. In fact, that was one of the quotes that Deborah said. You just do it when you hear him talk to you. And she mentioned over and over how she hears him talk to her. And I really related to that on a really personal level. I was thinking about an experience while she was saying that. Uh, one day I was in my room and the Spirit spoke to me just like she described. And um, we have adopted all of our children. At that point, we had four children. And I was in my room, and I heard the, the Spirit of the Lord say, you need to adopt another child, and here's where you need to go to do it. And it was so clear and so concise, and I said, whoa, that wasn't on my radar at all. But when my husband got home, I said, hey, guess what we get to do? And so that's the thing. When, when the Lord speaks to you, you just do it. And, and he prepares a way for you, just like he did for Harry and Deborah and all their experiences that they had. I wish it were that easy for me. <laughs> I wish sometimes that I heard a voice, you know, or a, a really clear message saying, do this, do that. But for me, I think it oftentimes comes more subtly. I, I was thinking as I was listening to them, their, their experience, I was thinking about uh, my daughter. I had a, da- a daughter who was here at BYU. And 
she felt like she should go to another university and she'd been here for two years. She was on full scholarship and I was, uh, but she, she really felt like she was receiving inspiration that she should go somewhere else. And I was using my own mind. I was thinking, this is not logical, you know, don't you want to be where your dad is? But uh, she, you know, followed that voice, that prompting, that inspiration, whatever it was that was telling her, that feeling that was telling her she should go. And when she went to this other university, she ended up meeting the person that she got married to. <laughs> and so I, I totally resonated with that too, that even though, even though sometimes for me it's hard to recognize the voice that when you do follow that voice, it, it something beautiful always happens. I absolutely love that. I think that looking in perspective and seeing just um, how good life is for them now and looking back at how God really guided their lives and just how faithful and how strong their belief is and knowing that God would lead them to a better place than they were. I love um, when she said, you know, you just don't question it, you just do it, right? And it it really took me back. Years ago, I had served a a service mission. I had gotten back home, and uh, this was in Texas. I had an HR manager position, which was a dream for me. I was living by myself, and I had all the things that I felt in my life were just good enough. I felt like I was just at the peak point of my life. I remember being in my office, and um, I was working on payroll, (laughs) and um, I don't have music on or anything uh, just to not get distracted, and it was really quiet, but I felt a really, um, really soft whisper that said, Utah, you need to go to Utah, and I said, what? Like, I don't have any business to go to Utah. I have a good job. I'm really nice located here where I am. I have a good life. Um, And for a good couple of days, I just kept feeling like I needed to reconsider that. I went ahead and started looking at a possibility of doing a, a bachelor's degree in Utah. And that came up really quickly where the possibility um became a reality for me. I didn't have a place to stay uh, within two weeks. Um, I actually made a couple out of nowhere that said, you know, if you're looking for a place to stay, let us know. We'll help you out. Um, I didn't have a job. And I applied for a couple of jobs. And, you know, it was this company. They said, we generally don't hire people, you know, that we do interviews with through Skype, but we're going to make this one exception. And I said, okay. Um, And within a few days, I heard back and I I got an employment offer. And, um, you know, thinking back, uh, that that has really led me to a great place where, like, I I met my husband uh, here in Utah. Um, I have a dream job here in Utah. And so, you know, I just love how really, like, just as the Bonners, um, you know, you put that faith in God and you believe that good things will come. And and they do. Mm -hmm. And they have for them. It reminds me of when Deborah was talking about when they were on their mission in Liberia, happy, thinking they were going to stay there their whole lives and raise their children there. And then she had the prompting from the Spirit saying, you need to leave. And they had had different plans, just like you. Mm -hmm. And yet she followed that guidance that she knew she was getting from Jesus and that's that's the first day that the the shots rang out and how they were protected and blessed because they listened just like you listened in your life. This kind of ties back into the theme of gospel music in their life too and how it connects with their faith as well as 
you know, following inspiration. I remember soon after I got married, I was, you know, when you get married, Anna, you probably <laughs> realize this, you know, haven't been very married for very long, but you feel, I felt a lot of anxiety about, you know, how am I going to provide for a family? You know, I haven't even finished school yet. And I, there are just a lot of anxieties that I was feeling. And the words of a hymn came into my mind because, you know, I grew up in a home where we sang hymns a lot too. It's is the music to lead kindly light. And I, I was, it was just uh, so powerful to me because this, this, these thoughts came into my mind that life really is, it's like taking that step into the darkness, you know. But if we're following Jesus, if we're following that kindly light, then we're, we're going to be okay. We step into the darkness and the darkness, darkness parts a little bit so we can go forward just one more step. And I, I feel like their life, their lives were examples of that because, you know, they were making these decisions, the decision to leave Liberia, the decision to go west without even, you know, hitchhiking to go. But they were taking that step into the darkness, trying to follow their prompting. And even though they couldn't see the path in front of them, it ended up in a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I um, I kept thinking about, too, is how many people they came across in their journey that really brought them closer to to the Lord and specifically to, to Jesus, to the Savior. I think back in, in my life, and there's one specific person that I think of being that influence for me. Harry kind of talked about him having that Catholic priest that was kind of like a father to him. And then Deborah talked about her friend when she was younger and uh, wanting to be, you know, close to her friend as well, who was Jesus. And I think we can all relate and think back in our lives and say, in a specific moment in our lives, that person was the Catholic priest for me, or what person? That person was the friend you know, my, my best friend is, has been one of those individuals that um, has personally helped me come closer to the Savior and to really understand how much God loves me through through so many different things. But um, I just, I love seeing that um, no matter what faith you have, no matter what type of religion you're part of, that you know that God places people in your path to help you get closer to Him. Mm-hmm. I believe that too, Anna. I think the Lord puts people in your way to get you where you need to be to help you along the way, and that was certainly the case with Harry and Deborah. This is a conversation in good faith. Listeners sharing their thoughts on the first half of today's show with Harry and Deborah Bonner. Find the full episode online at byuradio.org slash faith. Now back to the conversation. For me, it was probably my oldest brother, Robert. He was a big influence for me uh, early on, not only as an example, and like he taught me how to ride a bike and how to swim, you know, kind of those, those simple brotherly things, but that he also had this belief in God and that we would always go to church, we would sit next to each other, and of course I was there with the rest of my family as well, but but him being that strong anchor in my life was, was really important early on as a child and seeing that as we kind of grew up together. I mean, he was a few years older than me, but then as he moved on to college and as he kept his faith, it was, it was something that helped me to keep mine as well. Yeah, what a blessing for you to have that example right in your home, that brother who could lead you along. I think that's beautiful. That's yeah. a great blessing to you. I was thinking a similar thing. For my own life, I had a a youth leader who 
loved us so much. And I, I grew up in a loving family, but that my youth leader, Brother Tuckett, uh, he was able to be a spiritual mentor in a way that sometimes I think parents always can be, but sometimes as a youth, as a teenager, you need someone else to lean on. And um, I, I think the the fact that he was able to draw close to me in ways that were not spiritual, like letting me work with him and you know do other things with him, that it it opened up the opportunities to also have a spiritual, you know, a spiritual relationship and for me to be open to, to learning from him kind of in that spiritual realm too. I hope this isn't uh, inappropriate, but I remember as a youth kneeling down as a family to prayer and oftentimes hoping that my mom wouldn't be called on to pray because she, um, would pray for a long, long time and pray about everything, and and uh, I think in in my later years that was important. Even though at the time, as a youth, I I kind of uh, you know oh you know darn mom's you know mom's gonna pray, but you know I remember seeing her and my father kneeled kneeling at the bottom of their bed uh, at times, you know, going into their room and seeing them there and them praying for me. And I think, although as a youth, a young child, oftentimes that was something that was maybe frustrating for me or something I wanted to avoid. As I grew and matured in my faith, I I became really grateful for that and realized that her prayers were sincere and she was really talking with God. And uh, it wasn't just get through it quick so we can eat eat the meal, but she was always pausing to to talk sincerely to God. That makes me think so much of my grandpa. For me, he's been one of those individuals in my life that's influenced me a lot and mentored me spiritually. But I remember him coming home. Uh, We lived with my grandma for a while. My mom was a single mom for quite a a good amount of time. And um, living with him, I would see him um, come home really tired from like a 12-hour shift. And um, he would, before he would go to bed, this was his routine every night, he would go straight to the piano and would sit in front of the piano and open the scriptures, open the Bible specifically, and start reading. This was his way um, to speak to to God. Um, He would read the scriptures and he would always say, if you ever want to talk to God, come read the scriptures with me. If you ever want to hear his voice. Did he play the piano too while he was (laughs) reading? he just (laughs) sat at the piano. He just, (laughs) for some reason, he liked having the scriptures on top of the piano. I don't know why, but that's how I remember it, even though it's weird, right? But (laughs) but that's how he would sit down and read the scriptures. He would speak um, you know, loud or he would read softly. Um, depending on you know how how he felt or how connected sometimes I feel like he wanted to be too but one the example right of the consistency but two uh, knowing that he believed in his heart and he still believes to this day and I believe that as he you know he reads the scripture he's strengthening that relationship with God and he knows that he's being heard and he feels even more connected to him directly and um yeah, it's it's one of those things that you just the image is there, and um, every time I like struggle to read the scriptures, I'm mm-hmm. like, if he did it, I can do it too. <laughs> so I love the I love the stories you've told. I love Oliver. You've all touched touched on the idea that 
in your families, you've had these great examples. Oliver talked about his brother and Charles, your mother, and Anna, your grandfather. And that was something that um, Harry and Deborah were mentioned at the end where Harry said um, his compliment, you know, his, his wife, Deborah, taught the children through music. And his compliment to the music was prayer. And that was his contribution. And as a couple, they gave this great example to their children of music and prayer and how those two things together can bring you closer to Jesus. And I love that. Um, I thought that was beautiful. And I know we all have examples, many examples in our lives of how music has touched us and, and brought us to prayer and thanksgiving to um, our Father in Heaven. And I love that idea. And they were they were great. And they continue to share their music with everybody. I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful tribute. Music is kind of a prayer in a way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. Charles, I was thinking about what you said earlier about how the Spirit speaks to you differently. You don't hear a voice. And I'm just curious about how everyone feels like they're prompted by the Spirit. Like, I hear it. I hear words in my head, like someone's speaking to me. But I know that's not the same for everybody. And maybe it's different at different times, too, according to the circumstances. It's feelings for me, like in my heart. But it's like differently, like, you know, like when you're nervous or something and your heart's pounding, it's it's sort of like that sort of inside my heart. And I can feel it just kind of reverberate through my soul whenever I feel like I need to do something. Um, there was this one time many years ago where I had just gotten off work. It was like a Saturday afternoon. And I was walking back home from campus, uh, from, from the college campus. And I saw this girl at the bottom of the hill who was carrying this bag, and it looked like it was heavy. And I had, like, I had my earbuds in, you know, my little cocoon of, of music and stuff, <laughs> and just, just, you know, headbanging, rocking out. And something just kind of, I felt it in my heart, something that said, you know, take the earbuds out, say hi to this girl, and ask her if she needs help. Hmm. And that was, you know, I was in the zone. I was like, I just finished my day because I, I just finished work, and I was headed home. And I was going to eat like pizza or something, you know, just totally like be be selfish for a minute. But something just told me that I needed to take the time and see what was going on. And so and so I did. And I said hi and said, do you need help? And she said yes. And I was like, okay. And I looked in the bag and it was filled with waffle irons. Strangest <laughs> thing, she was about to have a waffle party, but it was like on the other side of the school and she was like, I was feeling sick this morning and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it up this hill and all the way over there. And I said a prayer at the bottom of the hill oh. for God to send someone to help me. Wow. Oh. And in that wow. way, I was able to answer someone's prayer. And it wasn't something that I was planning to do. That's not what was on my agenda that day. But because something felt, I felt that in my heart, it, it changed the whole, well, it, it changed my life, I'll, I'll tell you that. And hers too. And right. hers too. She realized that she, Heavenly Father is aware of her and he answered her prayer and sent you. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that, Oliver. One of the things that um, the Bonners experienced was specifically a lot of uh, culture changes from moving to different places to even uh, changing, right, the uh, religion that they were at the time believing. And so I I can definitely relate to that uh, because I was born and raised in Venezuela, lived there until I was 13 because of the political situation and a couple of different things. Uh, my, my parents um, at the time decided we need to move to the U.S. And so I didn't know any of the language. I We grew up Catholic and uh, it was it, it, 
things were very different here in the U.S. Um, but coming here, um, just the change, the sacrifice, um, I think I, I can really relate to that and understand that you really end up relying on God in so many of those changes. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're just doing the best you can with the knowledge you have, and you just go with that. Uh, but uh, really thinking back, uh, again, the God really guides you where you need to be. And I think about my life and how blessed I am with um, an education and I several languages that I've been able to learn um, my faith in God and being here has really strengthened my faith because it's made me understand that um, faith can be seen in different ways and it's practiced in different ways and I appreciate everyone because um, I see around and I don't see religions I see people trying to be good people trying to be better um, and bottom line I think that that's that's what makes humanity so good uh, we're trying to see the good in each other and we know that there's struggles along the way but we we look upward and hope that things will work out and and that's how I feel about my journey from Venezuela to Texas to Utah now and continue to look forward to perhaps many more changes to come but that's the one constant right that we can look upward to God and, and know that that's something that will never change that's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, Denise, Anna, Charles, and Oliver, and especially to Harry and Deborah Bonner for generously sharing their stories and their faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you found value in today's conversation. Contact us anytime. Email ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Find us online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith and find all of our past episodes. Subscribe to the podcast where you get your podcasts. Our Twitter feed is ingoodfaithbyu. All music used by permission. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. Our associate producers are Christine Knuckleby and Marcus Smith, I'm your host and producer, Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join us again soon, right here, in good faith.